Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have a returning guest, uh, Dawn Gallup. We're going to talk about greenhouses, you know, some of the uh, nuances in them. Last time we talked about, you know, dealing with goats and chickens and, and all the other animals and creatures on her homestead. Uh, so welcome back, Dawn. Thank you for coming. Thank you, Richard, for having me. If you could, again, just uh, in case people don't listen to the other interview yet, uh, just give me a brief background on yourself and where people can find you, and then we'll start talking. Um, well, I'm Dawn. I'm on YouTube for Dawn Gallup, Number 9 Farms. And I am the mom to nine kids, and I've been homesteading since 1992. Wow, nine kids. Yeah. <laughs> God bless you indeed. That's a lot. That's amazing. Yeah, tell me about your interaction with greenhouses. We talked about, again, other aspects of gardening, but um, I guess you have a lot of expertise in greenhouses. Tell me a bit about how you started with them and what you learned along the way. Well, in 1997, I bought the first uh, greenhouse. It was a six by eight, a little teeny one that I got from Finger Hut. I know everybody laughs now. It was a thousand dollars back then. And, but it was, it was wonderful. It worked for many years. In 2014, uh, my husband bought, I mean, uh, he built a 20 by 16 uh, greenhouse. And in the same time frame, I got a high tunnel. That was a hundred by thirty, and so when I started with all these um, greenhouses, I was still even using the little teeny one, even though it had completely turned to like almost a dark color where you couldn't really see very well through it. But the sun did penetrate it. But the the one we made, built, the first one was uh, made with polycarbonate, and then the other, the high tunnel was made with plastic. Okay. Well, I guess one one big question is so like I live in Texas. A lot of the year, the cold is not the problem. The heat is the problem. So, you know, in winter, it does get cold. But um, me versus someone in a northern climate, is a greenhouse still appropriate for me with modifications? Yes, absolutely. Now, I originally lived in North Carolina. we just been in the Upper Peninsula now since last November. So with the um, greenhouses, I what you will notice is a lot of times when you, you're going to want to have a shade cloth especially where you're at. And um, so the shade cloth, we had 70% in North Carolina. And it worked Okay, so the, so the shade cloth has a percentage associated with it, and that's the, what, the percentage of the sun that it lets through or blocks? or right, how, shade, right. how is shade cloth rated? Well, exactly, 70%. So it's blocking out 70% of the sunlight. So when, um, so like, say so I had a lot of tomatoes in there. So the tomatoes, what you could always tell, like it was time to put the shade cloth on. Usually for, for North Carolina, though, that was around March, April. You would put on the shade cloth so that you would, because the plants would start turning like a little yellow color, almost like they were just getting too much sun. And, and I knew right, right away it's time to put the shade cloth on. Okay. All right. And then what did shade cloth do for the temperature inside the greenhouse? How much did it improve it? 
Well, it lowered it a lot. What I did find with high tunnels, which is, you know, basically it's, um, it, it's, it was a large high tunnel. And what I would find is that it would stay cooler. It was basically the same temperature as outside. Honestly, it was 100% the same temperature as outside. Even at night, if it, it would drop down to exactly the same temperature that would be outside. But that, um, for some reason, they, they just grew amazing in the um, high tunnel. Like, even my husband always said, he said, thank goodness we have this high tunnel. Because he says, if I had to grow outside, it just wouldn't happen. A high tunnel versus a greenhouse. What's the difference? Just geometry? The material um, it's made of, or what else? Well, basically, a greenhouse is a solid structure. And the greenhouse, I mean, it doesn't have, and it, usually it's not, you know, a movable structure or anything like that. But it, it my high top, my greenhouse had polycarbonate panels. It was, a, it had regular two by fours, you know, the whole nine yards of floor, everything. And so it, what would happen is, even though we had the fans in it and, you know, vents, it would get so hot, it would be 120 degrees, say, come June, July. It would be 120 degrees in there, even with the fan on. So that kind of structure, we only used that at the beginning of the, the growing season. So I have all my little uh, seedlings in there. And then once they got to a certain size where they were ready to be um, transplanted, I would move everything into the green the high tunnel. And the high tunnel, okay. the sides roll up and down. Usually, depending on which one you have, one will roll up, one will roll down. So that allows for constant airflow. It also helps the plants. So in the, with the spring and summer, you would just have the, uh, the high tunnel open all day and night or just at night or what? Yes, I at first in the early um, part of the summer or late, you know, late spring, I would roll the sides up every day. Now, um, but once it starts getting, we would get like late June and July and August. I pretty much left the sides down all the time. And I didn't really have any trouble with critters other than a groundhog. Um, the groundhog would come in there and eat all the beans. Uh, and it, it, is, it didn't even matter if I put the sides up. He found a way in because they dig. Oh, interesting. So I guess greenhouse for starting plants and then high tunnel is, uh, is a better like season extender or is it capable of going year round? Like what, what would, what would yeah. somebody need to do with a high tunnel if they're in a moderate or colder climate so that they could grow year round? Well, they could take like thermal cloths and, you know, freeze blankets, cover up the smaller area. And that way you can, um, like a agrabond is another word for some of it. And you could co cover the plants up and you could continue to grow. You absolutely cool. could. Well, I've heard of like a thermal mass, you know, barrels painted black with sand in them or water. I mean, like, what are the ways that you found um, help you grow when it gets really cold outside and you're using a high tunnel? Well, most of the time what I would do is I would only grow cold weather crop at that time. So once December usually came, that would be the time frame that I would get a, a deep freeze. And then that would pretty much wipe everything out that was in the high tunnel. Uh, now... There was times I had already um, went ahead and planted like some collards or turnips, one of the, many of the cold broccoli, things like that, kohlrabi. Okay. So you were able to grow all, you would uh, you'd switch over to just winter crops, what, for December, January, February? Yeah. I usually, I would plant, plant them a little bit before that time frame, but that's when I would go ahead and like, if I didn't plant something in the high tunnel, um, like 
the cold weather crops, that's when December would come around. And that's usually when we would have the real hard freeze. Like the first freeze wouldn't really matter. Um, but when you've got one of those hard, deep ones, it did matter. Because like I say, the most of the time, the temperature would be the same temperature inside the high tunnel as it was outside. You were just shielded with that shade cloth with the sun, from the sun, a lot of the sun. But what would you do to get a few more degrees or maybe tens of degrees more warmth in there in the winter? Well, like you said, you could um, do the black barrels for uh, water, you know, to keep hold that heat in. I n never really did any of that because I didn't need to. Now, you can run heaters, too. Never ran the heater either. We did run fans. For people that run heaters, is it crazy expensive or is it not too bad to just run heaters? And, and, and do you run them? All day, all night, or you just run them at night, or what do you do? Yes, it, it is expensive, especially if you have to use electric. There are um, pain heaters, and that's what I have now. It's called a hot dog heater that I do have in the uh, greenhouse that I have now. Okay, so the best way you found is, you know, first plant cold weather crops, and then for a little bit of extra warmth, what is the cheapest and easiest way? that you found to help out, you know, high tunnel so the crops can survive? As far as um, Agrabond cloth, I would put um, blankets over everything. It, like, so what, like, like, uh, like during the day, the Agrabond absorbs heat and then at night it radiates it into the, into the structure or what, how does it work? Well, the Agrabond basically protects from um, frost, even though you, those really cold nights, I would just cover things up. But, but most, like I said, most of the time I was only, and it is North Carolina now, here lately, you temperatures have changed. They the agrabon would be would help sufficiently, especially on the cold weather crops. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to twenty seven hundred plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets a hundred thousand plus downloads a month. We need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. Well, what temperature range have you found cold weather crops are okay in? And what is too cold? You know, what, well, what temperatures is that? Yeah, I can tell you this about 25, 27, somewhere around there. Once it goes down to that, they suffer greatly. They really do lose a lot of their cell wall. And it you can so tell. What do you what do you tell homesteaders that are further north? You know, let's say they're in New York or Michigan or places like that. Um what can they do to be able to grow all year round or they just can't? You can grow that the, the cold weather crops in there. You can grow carrots. You just need to use some freeze blankets or insulate them real well with maybe some pine shavings, it, especially if you're in a side of a high tunnel. Yeah, that You can absolutely do that. Hmm. Okay. Do you know uh, people that are, you know, let's say that watch your channel that have used, you know, the, the barrels or other thermal masses and... You know, have you spoken to people that do that? And if so, what do they report? Yes. Actually, um, farmer friend of mine, um, he would do that every year. He would uh he had a little greenhouse and he would put in five gallon buckets 
full and he had painted them black and he had filled them up and they were all lined up and down all the uh, greenhouse and it worked he would also put like his um ducks and stuff in there too like smaller ones like when they were little oh, okay it was like incubators you mean or what well like, no, no. yeah just just no like a place for them to be when because they're out of the harsh weather so it would like they would be smaller you know, because the, the, like I said, his greenhouse was only maybe about, I don't know, uh, 12 by 15, maybe. Oh, okay. I see what you mean. Um, so what other, um, I mean, you know, by working with high tunnels and greenhouses, what else have you learned that's really important for people that are first, like, you know, when someone gets their first high tunnel, someone that's listening, what are some things that they should watch for to help make sure they're successful? Watch for um, when when you first start out. Of course, your gung ho, everything you want to get, everything planted in the ground is what I would I did was the first time I was like everything planted in the ground. Just be mindful of where you're placing things because you know that you want to do a little rotational as far as like you know don't plant your tomatoes in the same spot every year because that can build up you know cause disease. Another thing is um, um water can be an issue as long as you have um, water that you can water the, the high tunnel really well because what had happened to me was I actually got a salt buildup and other buildups you I don't know I didn't know that at the time and when it when the salt buildup um you need to go in and flood the high tunnel so that basically drench it so that it goes it would get rid of like you know with rain how it can wash everything away and it can stop build up that's that's one thing you got to watch for because that does happen oh and, how does the salt build up occur and where does it build up okay so salt can be in anything your salt can be in your water even though this the water you know, whatever, even if it's, it can be, it's just a normal thing, like minerals and things like that. And it can just build up over time because of course you got to think that if there's, if it's not raining inside this high tunnel, there's nothing to wash away build up. So, okay. So if you have, uh, if you're using hard, you know, high mineral content water to water the plants, it's going to leave residues and build up all over the place with scale inside the Yes. Yes. So, so the plants they can't um, grow in a lot. Like boron can be one. A lot of the different types of um, minerals can build up, and that's one thing I did have a problem with. And that's when I switched to growing everything into pots. I actually grew everything in five-gallon buckets for like the last three years. Huh. What yes. did that do for you? Why, why was that uh, an innovation? What? How did that help? Okay, so um, what had happened was I I had um, a, a buildup, and like I said, the I had the North Carolina State come out and figure out what the buildup was. They found out that there was a lot of things, different things, and I needed to get, I needed to, they wanted me to flood the high tunnel, and they wanted me to flood it with so much water that it was never going to happen. And now, if you can take your plastic and you can like say take your plastic off in the winter time or or when you're done for the growing season that you, you know, if you don't want to continue, um, you can, if you can afford to take your plastic off, a plastic is very expensive. And when you took the plastic, if you could take that off, then the natural elements, the rain, the snow, whatever can wash away a lot of this. And, but they just couldn't happen for me. 
So I was really depressed over the whole thing because I was like, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And then that's when we came up with the idea of growing in five-gallon buckets. Well, what other, I mean, again, how did the buckets benefit you? Why did it prevent scale? What Um, did it do that uh, just, you know, going in the ground didn't do in beds? Okay, so every year I would use compost and water, I mean, not water, um, soil, that I would get like new bags of soil or I'd have a, you know, delivery of um, compost or different things like that. So I would make, mix my own soil up and I'd put in the five gallon bucket and then I would put the tomatoes in because I did mostly tomatoes and peppers for production as far as uh, selling at the farmer's market. So I had all these tomatoes and the five gallon buckets. Then that way too, the plant was right there in this five gallon bucket, a lot, a lot more easier controlled. We were able to string them up at the top of the high tunnel. It worked amazing. Honestly. Did it use less soil? Did it require less compost? Because I guess what it would do is it allow you to have a deeper bed, you know, in the bucket, but you wouldn't have to have, you know, you wouldn't have to use as much soil laterally. So do you, do you think it saved you on soil and compost usage and all that? Yes, absolutely. It did. And um, so basically the, we would put like five or six holes in the bottom. So the tomatoes would, my tomatoes would be 16 foot tall. Okay. So 16 foot high. Really? Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And they would, uh, the tomatoes would penetrate past the buckets. They would grow outside the bucket and they would go into the high tunnel, you know, ground, which didn't really affect it. Because, you know, I guess it wasn't getting the concentration of it. Is it normally what is if we did when we had planted things into the ground itself? I grew tomatoes years ago in uh, like a grow tent and they, they took over. I mean, when you oh, grow yeah. tomatoes with other stuff, like they, they're greedy. They would choke out everything else with their roots. And I mean, they, they were everywhere. It was crazy. They're super aggressive when I saw them. Yeah, I don't know. I just love tomatoes. Everything. I love everything about growing a tomato. Uh, well, they're very popular, yeah. I just noticed, yeah. like I said, they were crazy uh, aggressive, but uh, it was pretty cool. Okay, so you did that in bucket watering. Uh, you know, if you had a plant in a bucket, would it need less water? Because again, um, it's spread over more vertical soil profile than horizontal. Well, I know. A lot of times I needed to water more off. So um, what I would normally do is i go first thing in the morning. I would water everything in the uh, high tunnel and then... After that, I would uh, um, probably usually sometimes go back in water because a lot of times what, you know, once that root ball had completely just basically went through the entire soil, it was nothing left. It needed, it needed more, you know, water to keep sustaining its life. Okay. Interesting. I guess that's an unexpected uh, trade-off. Um, would you put any uh, structures in the, um, in the bucket? Like, was there a to allow drainage? Did you put more granular media in the bottom half and soil in the top half? Like, is there any um, any nuance to, again, what goes into the bucket besides the plant? You talking about nutrients and stuff like that? Or maybe, like, I, what I pictured is, um, what if I had a five-gallon bucket and I, you know, poked a few holes in the bottom so stuff could drain out, and I put maybe uh, medium-sized pebbles in the bottom half and then soil on top of them. And then the plant, you know, plant it in the soil, would that be any benefit to me versus just filling it up with soil? No, we never put um, the rocks in there because honestly, 
I didn't see a difference of doing that. It could, I guess you could, you could put a piece of, um, um, like the agrabon down in the bottom, put the soil, the rocks down there, and then that way the excess could drain through the, the holes, and then you wouldn't lose any of your rocks. You could do that, because I have done that before. But I didn't okay. really see no difference as far as that. Any of the crops you planted didn't do well in buckets for some reason, or do they all do just fine? Um, everything did really well. I mean, I even did eggplants in the uh, buckets. I I rock. You know what's cool about having everything in buckets is you can move them around. Like if for some reason you have a plant that's starting to obscure another, maybe you move the one that's getting obscured to the edge of the high tunnel, or one that's more temperature sensitive, you move it to the interior. Or if a plant is bending one way too much, you can turn the bucket and then the, the sunlight will hit it in a different way. So I don't know if you played with any of that, but it seems like that would be another benefit to doing this. Yes. Yes, it, yes, absolutely. It sure was. The only thing is once these tomatoes, you know, got 16 foot tall and stuff, they were they were hard to move around. Even though I was trimming them up and everything, they were still hard to move around. We did. We did do that. What about a disease? Does buckets help segregate against disease? Because, you know, multiple plants are not in the same body of soil. They stop at the edge of the bucket for the most part. So did you notice any help there? Well, aphids is, was a problem no matter what. At high, high tunnels, there's like two things that I noticed that are can be extreme problems. Aphids and spider mites. Spider mites, oh my gosh, they love a high tunnel. What do you think so that is? Probably because the heat is, is you know, drier. They like a dry uh, climate. And I, I'm assuming that's why they like, um, but they say the ants cause most of the aphid problems. So you'll have ants that come up and um, actually put the aphids there and that, that they come back and eat the um, sweetness from the, um, so the ant comes back and eats the aphid too. Maybe funny if you sang you said spider mites, spider mites, does whatever a spider mite thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Well, very good. Um, horrible. Do you have, um, so on your YouTube channel, do you just uh, informally teach as you as you learn, or do you have any courses uh, that people could, you know, could invest in, or should they, like, where can people go to learn more from you? Uh, go to YouTube, obviously. Um, but yeah. Again, do you have any formal courses for them, or is it you know playlists of videos or what will they find? No, I'm I'm not very um, skilled on the uh, computer as well. Um, hmm. give, give me anything to cook and plant, but don't um don't ask me to do any computer work. <laughs> all right. Well, no problem. So, all right. So, what's the name of your YouTube channel again, so people can find it and watch your content? Where can they go? It's um Don Gallup at Number Nine Farms. And Gallup is G-A-L-L-O-P, right? Okay, and Dawn, D-A-W-N. I just want to make sure because I pronounce names one way, you pronounce it the right way, obviously your way. But for listeners, they may not be able to hear, so that's why I mentioned it. Okay. So, okay. Well, Dawn, thanks thanks for coming back again. You definitely have a wealth of knowledge. And you know what's really cool is you tried lots of things. So that's that's one big reason I enjoy talking to you is um, you're not afraid and You've had good and bad experiences with a lot of stuff, and I think listeners really will appreciate that. So, so thank you for coming and doing this podcast again. Okay, well, thank you, Richard. Talk to you soon. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. 
You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.